Welcome to Get Off Our Lawn. This is episode nine. Today, Ron talks to Allison of the NorCal Masters Competition, which has recently been retired. The competition, not Allison. Um, NorCal Masters was legendary as being one of the first and arguably one of the best Masters competitions. It's a place where you could go if you were just an average CrossFitter like most of us and compete or a games level athlete and compete. It really was an inclusive community. Um, what you're going to discover here is that Allison is a, a fascinating woman. She's 50 years old, which makes her a true master. She has a PhD in psychology and a master's in learning disabilities. Both things, I think, are pretty important in life, especially if you're going to be coaching or running a competition. Uh, her and TJ own three CrossFit gyms in Marin, wherever that is. I'm sure it's warm and sunny. I'm in Canada right now and it's not. It's cold and dark. I really like Allison because she um, she nails it. She's a very um, realistic woman. And she also highlights what happens to many of us masters who undertake passion projects, who want to give back to the community, who want to do something for people because you really love it. And that is what happens after a while. Um, there's some burnout. And I know that and I've experienced it and some of the things that I've done and I'm sure you have too when you take on big projects. However, I don't think NorCal Masters will disappear entirely. Um, if someone steps up and helps to fill in the holes, then I'm sure Allison and TJ will reconsider. But um, not right now unless some really good ideas happen. And uh, you can you can uh, weigh in on that at the end. You enjoy this one. Let's maybe make it official here. So this is Get Off Our Lawn. I believe it's episode nine. And we're lucky enough to have Allison Belger from TJ's Gym and NorCal Masters. And Allison, maybe you could tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, um, I am, I've been a master's, well, when I started master's, I was 40 and up, now it's 35, so I'm now 15 years in, I just turned 50. I am a mom of two girls in high school. I am married to TJ, owner of TJ's Gyms. I'm a licensed psychologist and work with teenagers and um, do a mixture of academic counseling and um, essay work and writing support and all sorts of things, and then also have some private clients at the gym, mostly masters. And you used to run NorCal Masters, which was one of the preeminent comps for masters. How did that start, and and why was it just a masters comp? Because that's kind of it's getting normal now, but that was pretty unusual at the time. Yeah, well, um, the timing of it, this would have been our 10th year, and I am 10 years into being a master, so that was not an accident. I was 39 and was competing on the TJ's gym team. At the time, you did not have to be a, an, a fully elite-level athlete in order to be on a team at the game. And I just was sort of, you know, frustrated that here I was, this old lady, trying to keep up with people who were you know, decades younger than I was. And I came from the background. I was an athlete. I played soccer in college and multiple sports in high school and, you know, always wanted to be competitive at whatever it was that I was doing. And as I was aging, it just sort of 
wasn't possible to do that anymore. So I suggested to TJ that it would be cool for us to have a competition where we even the playing field age-wise. And we started with the NorCal 40s, which was for 40 to 50-year-olds, 40 to 49, I guess, technically. And I competed in that. And then we expanded it the following year to 40-plus um, with age groups by every five years. And I competed for two more years. And then realized how much I actually hated competitive CrossFit for myself and switched over to running the event. And that's how it started. So who, who ran the event in the initial stages? Was it TJ? And, and maybe we should give some background. Was, who, who is TJ? TJ is TJ Belger. He is the owner of TJ's gyms, as I said, and he is my husband. He's also uh, had been in the fitness world for his entire adult life actually started as a PE teacher and quickly transitioned over to working at the gym. And um, long story short, after years of having his own clients and working at someone else's facility, opened his first gym uh, in 2002. And it was supposed to be a place where all sorts of fitness coaches could come in and pay rent and do their own thing. So he wanted to give autonomy to people like him who wanted to have a career in fitness. Mm -hmm. And then at uh, I guess it was a few years later in about 2005 ish, 2004, 2005, he stumbled upon CrossFit when he was doing some research. And long story short, opened four CrossFit affiliates, one of which we have since sold. And now we have three locations. And that's the TJ. <laughs> and, and so in those initial years, he and our business manager, or not a business manager, but a coach who worked with us at the time, ran it. And, you know, with the help and support of our coaching staff as the judges primarily. What did it mean to, to run that comp? Because, I, I mean, I was only there once and it, when it was in the Richmond facility. And it was, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, it was two days. It was a bunch of workouts. It was gear left and right, rig, weights people shuffling around. I mean, you, you put on a hell of a show. It was a really good event. It was well run. And I can only imagine that took a lot of cycles to really pull that off. Yes. And I think, you know, we got better year after year, but it was a pretty quick escalation of, of I want to say excellence, if I may say so myself. I mean, we just really figured out early on that this was an unusual event that people cared a lot about it and that we wanted to make sure it was high class, top notch. And so I would say our attention to detail is what allowed that to happen. And frankly, you know, a level of care, concern, intelligence, um, experience that went into running it because I think a lot of people throw together a competition and, you know, think that they're going to make tons of money and it's going to be a huge success. People are going to be really sweaty and call it a day. And we didn't want to do that. And it's just not who we are. And so once we realized that people really cared about this event, we then put in a whole lot behind the scenes to make it happen. So I'm not sure it was as much um, a matter of years underneath us as much as it was care, concern, intelligence, um, compassion to make it happen that way. So, I mean, literally when I talk to folks and, you know, you had folks flying in from all over just to do this and granted there was probably a little Mm -hmm. bit of, and I get a weekend in San Francisco at the same time. So that's not bad. (laughs) Um, But what was this care and 
concern and and how I, I guess to me the process is more important than the the actual in in so much as how did you realize because people care people were really into this and i don't mean just the the hardcore you know games level athletes who did show up but there were people there who first ever cost crossfit comp and they were there because it had a good rep the programming was solid and and people had in their age groups were there they weren't competing against 27 year olds how how did how did it dawn on you that this was more than i would say just a competition i think you know, we're sort of known for, I'm in really all CrossFit gyms, of course, are known for community. That's kind of a thing. I actually wrote a book about community and CrossFit way back before there were ever books on CrossFit. And so we early on, our, our, our brand, PJ's Gym, was known for, oh, the people who have a psychologist working, you know, owning it with her husband. And it's really, truly about community. And she's actually written a, a book about it. And so that was kind of the foundation upon which the event was built and and because of the touch that we wanted the, the kind of human touch for lack of a better word that we wanted to put on it from day one that is i think what started to make it special and so it was anything from remembering people's names or remembering they had emailed me about maybe a, a spouse or a parent passing away so they had to cancel the year prior and then we remembered that the following year and gave them a shout out or wrote an email saying, how are you doing? And, you know, I understand that you couldn't compete last year. And of course, we'll, we'll comp you this year and, you know, stuff like that, um, which made people feel like this was more than just, they were more than just a number. Although by the end, we had, you know, 270 athletes registered. So there were a lot of people, but each one of those people felt that we cared about them. And because we did, I mean, TJ and I had a decent sense last year that we might not be able to do this anymore. And we kept saying, you know, it's no big deal. We're just so ready to be done. And by the end of the weekend, he's like in tears when people are saying goodbye to him, say, see you next year. And with him knowing there was a chance that wasn't going to happen. And so it wasn't just that we were running a business and therefore wanted to have good client services. We really care about these people. And that's, what I think made it special and especially in juxtaposition to other competitions or you know the CrossFit games which feel much less personal we had people who would fly in not only internationally to compete we had people fly in from around the country to help volunteer and you know that was also unusual we also had one year we we took the show on the road and did it in the Reebok gym in back in the day when there was this massive Reebok gym at Reebok in Massachusetts and Reebok won and we ran the event there and it was called Nor'easter Masters so we had a whole east coast contingency of followers who many of whom came out in subsequent years to compete and volunteer so mm -hmm. we had kind of a far reach as well yeah you you, you did and and any when it was announced that you guys couldn't do it again, I mean, the whale was heard loud and far and, and I get it. You know, uh, I saw the, pro the, the production and then last year you moved over to the uh, Marin fairgrounds, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And was that to add more space or what was the, the, the focus of the move? Um, frankly, it, it was a number of reasons. One, 
Well, the driver of that was that the facility where we had done it in Richmond, which is just an outstanding facility, um, they booked the weekend that we had had for eight years prior without telling us for, for this year, uh, for, sorry, last year, for 20, what was this year, 2019. They, so in 2018, when we said we're ready to make sign the contract for 2019, which we had done every year the day after, they said, we booked it for the weekend you usually do. Here are the weekends that are available. Okay. And I, I mean, that's, we had, they were challenging to deal with, let me tell you, just in the first place. And so it was surprising, but not shocking. And we decided not to fight with them and not to work with them anymore. And because we felt like as a repeat customer of that many years with consistently exceptional, you know, behavior as a client, that, that, that was just not cool. So it gave us the opportunity to consider a venue that's much closer to our gym population, therefore easier for our staff who need to give up their entire weekend, as well as the many volunteers who are from our community. So it made sense for us to consider a location closer to home. There aren't that many venues around here that are able to accommodate the, the numbers and also the wear and tear of what we do. So that was, that was the driver. Yeah. And you guys would always like throw a run in there. So you had to have some place where you could go out a mile or so. And, and, you know, the logistics right. of it was just a bit challenging, but that does actually right. add an interesting question to me, which was, uh, equipment. How did you get all the equipment? Mm -hmm. Did you pillage from your gyms in order to pull that in? How did you do that? Uh, you know, I will say that the equipment is probably the thing that made us decide in the end, we can't do this anymore. And that's because, you know, Rogue will outfit the CrossFit Games and they will do all sorts of circus acts to make that happen. But we couldn't even, even with personal connections, could never over the years get a response from Rogue about the possibility of even us paying for them to set up a rig and bring equipment. So, you know, and trickling down from Rogue, there were various vendors through the years who have done events, but Many of them, you know, it's sort of um, this craze, right, exploded at some point. Oh, there's this business of weekend throwdowns that people are doing. And so you would get people just, just as the people who would think, I can just run one of those. You would also get people saying, oh, I could just outfit one of those. And so they weren't very stable or dependable or reliable because they were sort of fly by night. Like, yeah, I can get you a bunch of weight plates or whatever it is that you need. So we struggled to find a company that was reliable, dependable, legal, <laughs> and um, affordable and would, would, you know, be able to accommodate the needs that we had. And we had one year where that actually worked really well. They came and they set up the rig and um, it worked. And we still had to supplement the equipment. And we actually used, one year it was really cool, we used a program where they had um, uh, people who had been in prison being rehabbed and part of their vocational volunteer work basically were, were projects like this. And so that was really cool because it was, I mean, we, we made a donation, but we didn't have to pay as much as we would have paid for all that labor. And they were really, really good. So it was a constant struggle to deal with the equipment. So what ended up happening, frankly, with TJ would pull all-nighters, multiple all-nighters in a row. And after the event, when everyone went home, 
I didn't even see him until the following afternoon. And that's because literally through the night, he would hire night workers to help him with various rental trucks, transport the equipment from all three of our gyms from the Richmond location back to our gym so that when our people showed up at, you know, 530 in the morning, it would be there. And he would be doing that throughout the day. And so when people say, you know, why aren't you doing this anymore? <laughs> and look, we're open to doing it again in 2021. If somebody can say we will, A, foot the bill for someone else to be doing that work, or B, I actually have a legitimate company who will do that for you. Truly, our, our heart was in it to do it. But at a certain point, the sacrifices that we made financially and just kind of within the routine of our lives as human beings wasn't worth it anymore. So, you know, you just, you just have to say no at a certain point, And we got to that point, but as far as the ability and the desire to do it, you know, if, if we got the support that we needed, we absolutely would consider doing it again. And I'm sure folks want to hear that. And they know that this was, you know, what's the old term labor of love or whatever you guys wanted to do this. <laughs> The thing I was going right. to add is, is uh, we do have a local audience, we have an international audience, and um, to describe it a little bit, the venue when it was in Richmond was an old, was that a shipbuilding facility? It was, I mean, it was gorgeous and they redid it, but Richmond is not exactly close to any of your gyms. I mean, you got to cross a bridge, you got to do some driving, so it, right. it, you know, it, it's you know, 40 minutes plus one way to get from one of your gyms just to the location. So it wasn't like just around the corner, you know, this is multiple stops, hours of driving, then offloading mm -hmm. and unloading. And I just want to put that out there because I don't right. think folks quite, I'm a San Jose guy and you know, it was actually a pain to get up to the comp because it's a long drive <laughs> and our traffic mm -hmm. is right. pretty horrible. <laughs> so right. if, if you guys were doing, you know, that and probably during commute times and all that, I mean, that's just a lot of work. I mean, just a lot, a lot. It was a lot of work. It was, it was an excessive amount of work. I will say, I mean, forget about the rest of the planning, just moving equipment alone was a lot of work, but you know, also the venue was just outstanding. And I think that for people listening, they might be like, well, why did they choose to have the venue across the bridge? Well, because once again, there are constraints of, of various venues. Most, most places won't even have you if you say you're going to be dropping all that weight on their floor or their ground or whatever. Um, and we needed an outdoor option, as you mentioned. And this was one of the reasons that so many people were attracted to the competition was how much space there was and how beautiful it was. So it was an intentional choice um, among the very few options that were available to us. It was also very expensive. You know, people get married there. It's beautiful. So there was the, the added financial cost as well. Yeah, I'm just kind of wondering how big does your wedding have to be to afford that venue? Because that thing is huge. Right. Yeah, it's huge. It's huge. And, and just for anyone interested, I mean, it is on the tip of the bay, San Francisco Bay. It had these huge floor to ceiling windows with, I don't know what, 50 foot ceilings because they used to, it was a manufacturing facility. Um, and, and the floor, I mean, they all, they cleaned it all up. It was absolutely gorgeous, but you could just kind of sit there in between wads and, you know, check out a view that you couldn't afford in a lifetime unless you, you know, were a startup founder. So it was, it was a beautiful place in addition to good yeah. competition. How did you guys program for it? Because it, 
it wasn't uh, one of the complaints we get on a regular basis is these um the, the weights are too low for masters or when you cross over 55, you know, they take out bar muscle ups and I can you know, only give me pull ups, but you guys programmed a serious set of workouts that were still accessible. How did you guys go about mm-hmm. that? Because I, I never heard complaints about your programming being too much or too little. I always heard folks saying that was a hell of a workout. Right. And I will say, you know, over the years with the numbers of athletes that we worked with or, or, you know, had at our competitions, there were, I would say maybe five who complained about the programming. And one of them was a very well-known master's competitor who complained last year and he publicly ate his words. And he did so because he realized that he was being an idiot. (laughs) And, and he, um, what what I joke about, and I was the one who programmed, and what I, with you know, in consultation with people who are really programming geeks, um, what I used to always say is, you know, it's always the people who like weightlifting who say there's not enough weightlifting and there's too much Metcon, and then the people who like Metcon are the ones who say there's not enough, you know, Metcon and it's too much weightlifting, and it was the same competition, you know, that they're talking about. So people tended to complain when they weren't good at something, and that's just the way it goes, period. And, I, you know, I'm not saying that I'm a perfect programmer by any stretch. Nobody is. But the complaints tended to be from people when they weren't good at something. And that's just very revealing about why people complain about programming. Um, our number one concern was always safety and not leaving our athletes crippled at the end of the weekend. And I say that in all seriousness because it was a really hard competition. Mm-hmm. We made it accessible in the sense that no, this was not a scaled competition. And we told people who would email us saying, you know, I've never competed before. Here are things I can and can't do. We would be very honest with them. You know, I don't think this is for you. Um, or we would say, it sounds like you might DNF a workout or two, but the way that we score it is we don't have cuts and we allow people to move forward as long as they can complete one rep of a workout. And we always made it that that first rep was accessible. So. There was a lot of thought that went into how the workouts were designed. Um, They were never compromising of what masters could do, but they allowed people to have success at least to a certain point in the workout. I'm trying to think through the years. Some of the things that people freaked out about were uh, like a two-minute AMRAP of uh, Turkish get-up. And how could we possibly do that asking people to do Turkish get-ups for time when they're supposed to be a slow movement for strength and coordination and you're asking them to do it for time. And, you know, there are many arguments why that doesn't make any sense, but the biggest one that I always said was it's for time. So, or it's for reps. It's an AMRAP. You could do one rep if that's what you feel comfortable doing. We're not mandating a certain number of, of reps that you have to do. And the minute you say that to people, like, oh, right, right. And then sure enough, you would see these people doing really uh, great technique Turkish get-ups. And they would do more than they normally would because it was a competition and that's all that they, that they did. And it worked out just great. So, for you know, one year we had weighted pistols and that threw people into a complete tizzy. And what do you think happened? Most of the people were able to do a certain number of weighted pull-up, uh, sorry, pistols, and it was an AMRAP, and it worked out great. 
and people said that that pushed them in ways they didn't realize they could do. And the people who had bad knees, guess what? They either did none or they did one, and then they called it a day for that little workout. So I have, you can tell I have a little tone of, you know, I don't know, smart aleckness, but the, the complaints were never all that convincing or valid. So for the most part, as you said, keeping it positive, 99% of the feedback we got was how well-rounded it was, how challenging it was, but also not crazy. We never did, you know, outrageous things that required something that you wouldn't be training for in a gym and that wasn't functional in your life. You know, we would have people, maybe we ran with a med ball one year, which we think is a, is a functional life skill to be able to run and carry something. Um, we had weight vests one year in our run. Um, we did burpees over a wall one year. We did rope climbs. You know, there, there were things that we did that maybe some people have never done in a gym, but they're not outrageous. Um, I will say that the programming was something that I put a lot, a lot, a lot of time and care and thought into. One of the things that bothered me when I either attended back in my early days of, of competing, um, when I attended competitions, it really would bother me when I can tell the scoring was not well thought out. So if a single double under counted the same as a clean and jerk or a, a heavy clean and jerk or, you know, a five-minute run counted the same as how many doubles unders can you do in 30 seconds, that didn't make sense to me and always frustrated me. And so I put a lot of care into making sure the scoring made a lot of sense. And I was also very trans to balance. Yeah. And I was always very transparent. I used to send out to all of the athletes an explanation of the scoring that was like a three page PDF so that everybody understood exactly how things were weighted and how it was scored and the, the rationale behind it. You did one once, um, because of course I would look at every single one, even, you know, I wouldn't go to a <laughs> competitor, but I'd look right. at all of them and one, um, I'll get it a little bit wrong, but bear with me here. It was like a one mile run, a minute rest, and then 40 rep back squat or something, you know, a minute of max rep back squats or something. And I was like, yeah. that's just, that's devious because, you know, you can blitz that run and then how are you going to do on your legs? You know, how do you, how do you right. game that one and for yourself? I don't mean game it in terms of the negativity, but how do you balance that type of thing? And I thought that was a pretty cool one to throw out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was a hard workout. People's quads were crushed. <laughs> it, it was also cool because, hey, it's, it's, it's numeric. The scores are posted on Wad Rocket and, you know, I mm -hmm. could go do them and see how I compared and then go into the open because right. you guys were always a couple of weeks before the open. It was, it was a nice little yeah. balance right there. Like, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Even on the thing, you know, am I getting better relative to some of these people who are clearly good? And, and you guys drew, I mean, you drew games athletes, you drew everybody. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's people that would tell stories. In fact, one of the podcasts was like somebody saying, yeah, I was in the, um, warm-up area and I PR'd my clean and then Freddie Camacho came over and then did 10 reps with it. And I'm like, oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, we did. I mean, that was, you know, it was fun. We did have a lot of games athletes and I think what was cool was like Freddie, the games athletes we had were very personable and very cool and very down to earth and didn't walk around like they were superstars. I mean, Freddie didn't win every time he competed either you know that's the thing we had such a deep pool that there was nobody who dominated year after year after year 
Yeah, that's that was one of the things that I found really interesting is people would say, hey, I'm going. And I'd be like, oh, interesting. You know, I, I wouldn't fly across country to to be mid-pack. That's just because of who right. I am. <laughs> um, but, but the destination was also more important than the finish. It was, I'm going to go to compete. Right. And when, where else can I go in to compete with a bunch of old gray hairs like myself? And that's another thing is, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm in my peer group here and I get to really see mm-hmm. people to me. Um, and I, I always thought that was, that was really cool. So how does your psychology background kind of play into this? I mean, do you think of things around like, you know, how people work together or, or, uh, you know, how people respond or, or does your psychology background kind of play into putting on a comp and programming and stuff like that? Um, that's a good question. So, okay. It's sort of like what I used to tell my parents when I wasn't technically doing a job that made money in psychology is that the thing about psychology is that it it expresses itself in every single field realm human interaction, right? So it's always at play is what I would say. And, you know, certainly there were times and aspects of the competition where being a psychologist came in more handy, so to speak, than others. Um, Certainly, I, I guess I would say that the way that it expressed itself most was dealing with people. And so, as I mentioned before, I would say 99% of the interactions we had over the nine-year span of the competition were positive and more than positive, wonderful, like, you know, life-affirming and, and really great. Um, and then there was that 1% of interactions that required a lot of management. and. I think that's where my background came in most handy is, you know, being able to manage people who were angry, who were upset, who were being unreasonable. We had, in all of the years, there was one year where somebody was threatening and very abusive and aggressive, and I had to ask him to leave, and he was not invited to come back. And you know, that was an isolated incident, but you have to be able to manage that without falling apart. And so that was an example. I guess with the programming, there was a little bit to the extent of strategy and understanding how people in this competitive realm tended to think about workouts and approach workouts. So sometimes I would try to be clever and, you know, anticipate how people were going to think this workout should go for them. And then put in a twist that made it like, well, actually, that might not work for you. So there was also that. There was balancing the pushing people in ways like the weighted pistols without doing something that was either crazy or didn't make sense score-wise, scoring-wise. So that's a little bit like that. Um, I mean, for the most part, because people were so happy to be there, whether they were volunteering working or competing there really wasn't much you know exceptional people management you know there was like I said one of the things that made it special was our attention to detail with who people were and their stories and their families and um, so I think that that's just kind of our our way of being less than more than my training necessarily and speaking of of um, good things, you guys had a spirit award that you would give out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What 
what made you start doing that? Because, you know, you, you, you would give it out, but, but um, then you'd write up why this person got it. Cause I would, you know, follow your updates mm-hmm. and it'd be like, man, that's really cool. You know, you just get this vibe yeah. of like, yeah, yeah. I'm glad they got an award for that. What, what made you start right. doing that? Um, you know, I think it was probably because the games did it and it was sort of like, Oh, well, why would you not do that? That's such a great thing to reward, you know? Um, I think, you know, Tita and I were both competitive athletes our whole lives and we would grow up on teams where that kind of thing was appreciated and teams where it wasn't. And I think we both just feel like it's cooler to be on a team where that's appreciated. So, um, we just, it's just, as I said, I'm sure it came from the games during it, but it was very natural for us. Um, and it was hard. There were a lot of times where we had so many people that we loved and who had great stories where it was tricky to pick one or two. Um, but there were some times where it was just obvious, you know, these people had such compelling stories. Excuse my ignorance, but did you offer that the entire no. time or did that come about uh, during the process? Well, I'm trying to remember as I was talking, I was trying to remember if we had it the first couple of years when I competed and I actually don't think we did. So I want to say that when I took it over is when we started. Maybe folks don't understand if they're not as much of a junkie as I am, but um, you guys uh, <laughs> made you guys made the decision a very tough one. I'm I'm absolutely sure that you know, you, you can't do this without an equipment sponsor. What would it take? I mean, what does an equipment sponsor mean? Is it someone who comes in soup to nuts? And, and this is the point, I guess, for the ad of, hey, and you talked mm-hmm. about it a little bit earlier, but I just kind of want to reiterate it. Like, what would it take for NorCal Masters to fire up again? Yeah, you know, Peter and I talked about this. And because we talked about it a few months ago, the numbers, and I should have prepared for this question, but the, the exact number is is not something that I am prepared to put out there. But I will say that, you know, we used to just hammer for sponsors, little sponsors here and there, people who gave, you know, a couple thousand dollars to get marketing and, you know, have a booth. And um, we did have our good friends, Julia and Kelly Starrett from Mobility Wad, now the Ready State, who were the last past two years were lead sponsors and paid us five grand a year because they also love this community basically they didn't really need the marketing but they wanted to support the event and the community um and we were you know partly it's it's sort of tiring to go out there and beg these little crossfit niche companies for a thousand dollars here a thousand dollars there to support a gap between what we made from competitors and what the event cost us and then maybe, you know, <laughs> blessed be, we get some money to take home at the end for all of our time. <laughs> so um, it, it's hard to give it an exact number right now because, again, I haven't looked at the spreadsheets for so long. But I will say either an equipment sponsor who comes in, soups to nuts, brings in all the gear, sets up the rig, breaks it all down and leaves with everything that day, or financial support to allow TJ to be able to farm that out to other workers so that he is not doing that through the night and, you know, pulling multiple all-nighters in a row. That's just not, it's just going to make sense. And also to support the fact, the toll it takes on our gym business because throughout the week of the work that we're putting into NorCal Masters for the week of NorCal Masters and the staff 
our gym staff who are required to be working that weekend. Therefore, we're not getting the usual income from our gym business that we normally are. So there's a financial cost on top of the kind of human toll that, that just needs to be addressed. And so it would either be, as I said, an actual equipment company who's able and willing to do the work or the finances to support us being able to manage it in a way that it makes sense. Or some combination thereof. That's exactly what I was, I didn't expect you to go, it's going to, you know, it take 50K or whatever, because you, you need to figure that right. part out. But that's kind of the, the lowdown there. So maybe to spin it just a little bit, you've been doing CrossFit for a little while, you're married into CrossFit. What does it mean to you now versus what it meant to you when you first started doing it? Well, I think when it first started, our very first couple of years, it meant to me an opportunity to put myself out there as an athlete and a competitor in ways that I had my whole life and gave me this outlet that, you know, many of your listeners know what I'm talking about. Um, so that's, that's what it was at the beginning, what it meant to me. And then when I transitioned to running the event and also over the years developing relationships among the people at the event, it became more of, you know, the, the wow factor of this is really important to people. I think at one point along the way, maybe in year four or something, TJ and I looked at each other and we were like, this is really important to people. And this is why. And we understand that importance and that felt good. You know, it, it felt really special. And I think, you know, I think I know that's why it was really hard to make the announcement we made. And I think, you know, for, for people listening, and we did get a lot of, a lot of inquiry, as you might imagine, what would it take for you guys to do it again? And I think we needed to step back and take a break. You know, I think that this year had to happen no matter what. Um, it also coincides with our first daughter applying to college and, and me imagining her leaving, which is a really big deal in our family. So it, it had to happen now, I think, anyway, and it's a good good time to really have other people who care about the event maybe consider what they would be willing to do to support it. Um, and so I think, you know, we were kind of talking to some inner circle people about maybe them anonymously chipping in some money to sponsor, you know, in some way to support the event. And my guess is had we tried, we probably could have gotten enough people to give some money to make it happen. I think for next year, if people want it to happen and we put that word out, maybe that would be the way to do it. It's sort of crowdsourcing, right? You know, the, the price to attend as an athlete is X dollars and that's not going to support the event, but given the interest in the community and the desire to make it happen, perhaps there would be the people who would be willing to give a thousand dollars, you know, and that might do it. I don't know. So for anyone out there listening who really is one of those people who's sad to see it not happening and would be interested in supporting it in some kind of way like that, it might be as simple as that. So I'll take you really far afield and, and you can tell me if you want to answer or not, but um, yeah. so you do um, counseling for kids or uh, college prep writing essays. Um, actually, maybe you can even tell us what you know you do around that. You kind of gave an opening there, but how different is it given that it's your own kid that's applying right now is there a difference does it kind of come home to roost or how, how does that feel <laughs> that's a funny question that I would not have 
anticipated answering today, given the topic. Um, I, have but, two, I, I have two freshmen in high school, so that's probably why I'm prepping myself. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, it's like anything else for those parents out there that everything's theoretical until it's your own kid, right? And, you know, I always used to say when my kids were little and people would say things like, oh, you're a psychologist, you know, you're going to be such a good mom. And I was like, number one, the only thing that differentiates me from non-psychologist parents is that I know when I'm screwing them up. I'm more aware earlier that I'm making wrong decisions when I am. And that was kind of my, my way of always acknowledging I'm no better of a parent to my own kids. I'm probably a better not probably, I'm certainly a better psychologist for someone else's kids than they would be. But um, for my own kids, I'm a parent. And it's, it's not all that different. I will say, though, that knowing a lot about the college process and knowing a little bit more than the average parent about, well, not a little, a lot more than the average parent about what colleges might want in an essay or how to write well, and certainly how to support kids through a stressful time, that those are all things that are very helpful for my own child. And, um, you know, she, because I know that it's best when parents don't work with their own kids, she's also working with somebody, you know, through the college process. And um, it's just really lucky for her that she has a parent who involved and knows what, I'm, knows what she's talking about. So I guess that's how I would. I, I get that it's. But, but, Go ahead, please. Oh, I was just going to say, and, and the college essay writing is not the only thing that I do. So that's just kind of a, a branch of, you know, my expertise or what I'm, what I work on. I work with students of all levels and abilities. I have a master's in um, learning disabilities as well, as well as a doctorate in clinical psych. So I kind of bring to the table a skill set that allows me to work with students who are really struggling and have learning and psychological problems all the way up to students who are exceptional and are doing really great writing for AP classes and just want a little extra support in that. So it kind of runs the gamut. Um, yeah. I, and I was just going to say, I, I get that that was a left field question, but to be honest, I, my thing is I love hearing about people. And what okay. you've done for NorCal Masters is fantastic. And obviously, you know, that's why I'm talking to you, but also just kind of getting a flavor of who you are is I find that really fascinating. And, um, you know, how do you evolve as a parent and doing what you do, et cetera. And, you know, I've got a couple of kids and it, like you said, it's all theoretical. Both of them are freshmen. So I'm going to have them both going mm -hmm. to college at the same time. And that's just going to be, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's a big deal. It's a really big deal. Yeah. So we only have a couple minutes left, and I want to say mm -hmm. thank you. I really appreciate your time. Is there anything that you would like to share, how to get hold of you, if anybody does want to get hold of you? Um, mm -hmm. Any question I didn't ask that you want to talk about? Any Anything. floor is yours. Um, I guess relative to NorCal Masters, I would just want to, well, a couple things. One is thank the people who helped it be what it is or what it was um so we had you know really amazing people who devoted multiple days of their lives to make this thing run the way it did i'm not going to start naming specific people because um all i can do there is leave people out so i'm just gonna make a statement that this was not something that we did on our own and we had a lot of people helping and caring about this event um and so part of you know, I think that's what makes our gym business so successful. It's 
a trickle down from TJ, who he is as a person. And it's no different from this event that this was a trickle down from who he is as a person and the vibe that he brings to the table and the people then who want to be a part of it because of that. And so that's really important to acknowledge. This is not an endeavor that we took on by ourselves. And, and our staff works tirelessly to also make it special. Um, so that's one thing. And then the second thing, if people want to get a hold of me, they can email me, allison at tjsgin.com. So that's A-L-L-I-S-O-N at T-J-S-G-Y-M.com. And I'm happy to field questions about anything um, and I'll have good boundaries. So if <laughs> something I don't want to be fielding, then I will tell you that. Um, but I'm happy to, to talk about anything. And um, certainly if you have questions about how the event might be supported in the future, we, we can entertain that as well. I want to say thank you. I'll close it right now saying thank you so much. Thank you for your time. And thanks for being willing to talk to us. Thank you for having me. I'm flattered that you guys care to ask. People do care. Thank you so much, Ron. Take care.